friends and everybody else living in Jerusalem, listen carefully to what I have to say. You are wrong to think these people are drunk. After all, it is only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what God told the prophet Joel to say. When the last days come, I will give my spirit to everyone. Your sons and daughters will prosify. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will have dreams. In those days, I will give my spirit to my servants, both men and women, and they will prosify. I will work miracles in the sky above and wonders on the earth below. There will be blood and fire and clouds of smoke, and the sun will turn dark and the moon will be as red as blood before the great and wonderful day of the Lord appears. Then the Lord will save everyone who asks for his help. Today we celebrate the way the Spirit moves among us, the way the Spirit still calls us. And there are, there are things that can get in our way. Today we continue our sermon series on banned books of the Bible. It was a few weeks ago the Nampa School Board voted to permanently remove about two dozen books from their library shelves. And school boards are charged with holding, you know, community standards that sexually explicit material does not belong in school libraries. And when they voted to to remove these books, they were removed because the language they used is that they contained pornography. And yet the Idaho Press reports that, that several of the books on the list were rated as having little or no sexual content by common sense media. Makes you wonder if there's another reason. In the last year, there has been a huge uptick in book banning in our country, and some because of sexually explicit content. But other books have been banned because... They have criticized racism in our country. They have named the presence of racism. And they have named that that over the centuries, racism has become embedded in our institutions and even in our government. So book banning can be a form of ideological propaganda, of of making your ideological um, opponents invisible. We know that dictators use book banning to eliminate ideas that could undermine them. Today we are going to look at an edition of the Bible printed in 1807. Its title is Select Parts of the Holy Bible for Use of the Negro Slaves in the British West India Islands. And it was published by the Incorporated Society for the Conversion and Religious Instruction and Education of the Negro Slaves in the British West India Islands. It was used by missionaries in the British West Indies, which today we call, you know, the islands of the Caribbean. And it was used in the American South. Missionaries wanted to share the gospel with all people, including enslaved people, But there was a problem. Planters, plantation owners, slave owners, were worried that the Bible had ideas that could undermine slavery. (laughs) Maybe they were thinking of Galatians 5.1 that said, For freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So, These select parts 
They didn't include that verse. Also didn't include Deuteronomy 23.16, don't be cruel to runaway slaves. These select parts omitted all mentions of freedom, cut out the entire story of the Exodus. It sure didn't include Exodus 21.16, which says whoever kidnaps a person, whether that person has been sold or is still in their possession, shall be put to death. It omitted all passages about human equality before God. So, like Galatians 3.28 was not in there. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. It didn't include the Psalms. It didn't include Revelation. It did keep the parts about obedience and submission. So Ephesians 6, 5 was in there. Slaves, you must obey your earthly masters. Show them great respect and be as loyal to them as you are to Christ. These select parts included about half of the New Testament and only 10% of the Old Testament. This edition clearly was not meant to be representative of scripture, but was really edited to give people this idea that their oppression was somehow holy. It was published in 1807. 1807. But slavery in modern-day United States, it began back in 1619, African slavery had been in the Caribbean since the 1500s. That's that's almost 200 years. Well, back in 1619, when those first African kidnapped folks were brought to the British colonies, their legal status was actually indentured servant, just like, you know, folks from Britain and Ireland. But within 50 years, things had changed. Slavery had become a racial caste with African slaves, the property of white owners. And the children born to slaves, to slave mothers, were the property of their owner, regardless of the race of their father. And actually, there was a court case about that. It had become race-based chattel slavery. And the truth is that, I mean, we have writings. Those, many of those white Christian owners, they did not think of blacks as like human beings, as full human beings. Because how could you, how could you, how could you sell someone at an auction block? Or how could you be strategic on increasing your property value by keeping black women bearing children in a way that white male masters could ensure. Those folks weren't concerned about those Africans' earthly bodies, and they sure weren't concerned about their souls. But by 1800, things had changed. The abolition movement had gained momentum, and the abolitionists saw these black folks as full human beings, and they were concerned about their bodies and their souls. 
And then in 1804, the slaves of Haiti revolted and overthrew their masters. It was the only successful slave revolt in the Americas. And if it could happen in Haiti, then it could happen anywhere. There had been slave revolts in the U.S. And so for the first time, slave owners were open to missionaries converting slaves as long as they were given a religion of obedience and submission. So three years later, these select parts, this slave Bible was published. Except that things had not gone according to plan. This was not the first time folks had encountered Christianity. The gospel had already gotten loose among these enslaved people. The gospel of Jesus Christ that calls us all to freedom. Some of those white folks, they had shared their Christian faith. And the enslaved people had caught this this gospel, and they knew it was their salvation, their salvation in the next life and their salvation in this life. Slave owners, they tried to control it with this slave Bible and with sermons on obedience and submission. But the slaves would sneak away to secret prayer meetings, and they would share the story of Moses and the Exodus those slave meetings, those, those slave prayer meetings, they must have been powerful. Because we find written that people were severely punished if they had been found to attend one. The slaves had code songs out in the field that they could tell each other about when the next prayer meeting was in a way that the overseer couldn't, uh, wouldn't understand. And then after dark... They would go out into the woods. They would hang wet quilts to dampen the sound. And they would praise God. And they would hear the scriptures. And they would sing prayers and hymns to God. By the 1800s, these black slaves had already developed their characteristic worship style of call and response that we still hear in the black church. That slave Bible did not include the stories of Moses and the Exodus, but Harriet Tubman was called Moses by her people. She was actually a Methodist Christian. And today, because a year or two ago, my family was able to go where she grew up, there is a church built on that place where they would sneak off to pray. The slave Bible, I mean, I think we could call it propaganda. And I think it maybe still affects us today. This idea that the Holy Scriptures can be edited with some parts for some people and other parts for other people. I think it still plagues us. A friend of mine calls it the 20 commandments, 10 for me and 10 for you. Freedom for me, oppression for you. Rights for me, responsibility for you. The slave Bible was an effort to twist the word of God into a story of submission rather than freedom. It 
It tried to sanctify the idea that some of us are meant to be free and others aren't. That some of us get to live in safe neighborhoods and others don't. That some of us get to buy things at cheap prices and others get to work at cheap wages. It uses the Bible to consecrate our flawed world rather than holding up the kingdom of God transforming our world, the kingdom of God that Jesus taught and died for. It, the slave Bible, it twists this idea of freedom into something ugly. Freedom to behave badly. Freedom to call names. To be selfish. To demonize others. To do what I want, when I want, wherever I want. That is not the freedom of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a freedom that Christ offers us that is holy and grace-filled. The freedom to be fully ourselves. To love others fully as themselves. To love without worry. To give generously. It is a freedom from that pressure of consumerism, that freedom from the rush to war, that freedom from violent protectionism. It is a freedom to cherish each other, cherish each other, especially others who are different. The Bible is still used today to hold people in oppression. Perhaps the Bible has been used against you to hold you down. In the temptation story, when Jesus was sent out to the wilderness, the devil quoted scripture to prove his ideas. The slave Bible was an attempt to do the same, and so we must be weary wary of being drawn into that game of quoting scripture to hold people down, to hold others down, or even to hold ourselves down. Instead, as followers of Christ, we must let scripture form us, form us into the body of Christ, into faithful citizens of the kingdom of God, form us into that grace-filled freedom of Christ. Amen.